where he's a very good teacher and pursuing the things of the Holy Spirit. He's really broken through into the gifts of healing, gifts of prophecy. And uh, so he's going to be bringing the word here in just a little bit. This is our last teaching on our series, The God Questions. The six most asked questions about God. Is God real? Is the Bible true? Um, if God's good, why does he allow suffering? Uh, do all roads lead to heaven? We looked at the ten top religions of the world and what differentiates them from one another and from Christianity. If, all, if you forgot, every religion is us reaching to God. Christianity is God reaching down to us. Everybody say, thank God. And, uh, and Thank you, John. Thank you, everybody. Appreciate the opportunity to come in today and uh, teach on a topic that some of you probably have never heard uh, a, a sermon on. Uh, what happens when I die? Uh, do I become an angel? A lot of people think that we become an angel when we die. Uh, but the Bible says we do not. We become like an angel and we are in the heaven, uh, but we ourselves do not become angels. Uh, that's one of the things that was on that uh, interview just now that we saw, the misconception about what happens when we die. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, try to take on this sermon. It's a little different, different than normal. I often get called up when it's time to talk about healing prayer or you know, learning to hear from God uh, because we've been in a ministry uh, over eight years now uh, that kind of combines those two facets. And so usually when I preach, I ask you all to go out and practice those things. <laughs> but today, I'm going to be speaking about death. <laughs> and so I'm kind of hesitant to say, you know, let's, let's keep what we learned today as hope for the future. Uh, you know, the Bible is, is, is about life. It's about abundant life. It's about being able to take your heart and to hang it into a kingdom you can't see, where the things are going to be so beyond amazing that God won't even let your mind have the ability to imagine it. So if we can do that, if we can lock our heart, our mind, our soul, our spirit into that eternal hope of what lies ahead for us as Christians, we can stay above the, the things in the earth that constantly go up and down, the market falls, bad relationships, things of that nature, if we can stay focused on the hope that God offers us uh, through Jesus. So uh, let's hold on and try to build that hope and that expectation of what a marvelous future we all have today. That's how I'd like to approach that. Uh, it's difficult to describe heaven. I think some of the metaphors in the Bible about gold and, and uh, jewels and things like that, uh, I'm sure much of it is exactly right, but I think sometimes it's used to let us know that it's something that we value greatly. It's something that is so extreme that many of us will never have. It's something that everyone knows has significant value. So uh, it's difficult to describe heaven in the same way it would be difficult to try to describe to someone what love is. Uh, someone who's never been excited about being in love with someone, you can, you can try to define it, oh, you, you want to go to the movies with them. Uh, you want to touch their hand. Uh, you, you may think about them during the day. I mean, you can describe it in such a way that it's true, but it's so flat that you have no attachment to that at all. 
But when you can describe how the feelings are inside, how you bubble up and can't wait to see that person again, you think about them all day during school that you hope to see them before they go to the bus, maybe to brush your arm up against them, maybe to see if you reached out to their hand and you're all nervous, will they reach back or will they walk away? There's this excitement. There's this internal bubbling of emotion. There's this hope for attachment, like there's a hole in your heart that longs to be filled. That's what it's like to long for heaven. We can't miss that. We've got to have that longing. We've got to be excited about it. That's why God gives us such a glimpse in the Bible. We don't get to learn everything that's in the Bible, but we get enough to be excited about it. So how do I get to heaven? There's one golden ticket, to borrow a phrase from Willy Wonka, one golden ticket to get you into the eternal kingdom of heaven. It's, John, it's talked about in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but will have everlasting life. So you don't disappear, you don't perish, and your life is everlasting. Your spiritual life, your spiritual eternity. Now we've heard on some of these interviews that people have done on the God series, well I think he died for all, which is true. But you can't lay on the floor and just say, well thank you, I'm going to heaven, because it says here that you have to believe in Him. You have to actually accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So it's not like save, saving you for heaven like rain. It's saving you to make a connection with you. You have to receive the gift. So everyone wants to know then, what's heaven going to be like? Now, if you're an athlete, you, you may look forward every year to the Super Bowl. You, you can't wait. If you are an athlete, a football player, you want to be in the Super Bowl. You want to be the guy that wins the Super Bowl. And people even want to watch it. They're just so excited about it. Or maybe you've longed all your life to go to school and to graduate. And you worked really hard and you worked jobs and nobody ever thought you were going to be anything. And one day you get up on that stage and you get that piece of paper with all these people present that you love and you say, wow, you know, I've graduated. I did it. And this is what it's going to be like on the first day of heaven for every Christian believer. Except all the relatives who come are going to get along. <laughs> all of them are going to give you, all of them are going to respect you. All of them are going to love you. All of them are going to be glad that they're with you. And you're going to have such a great time in that first day. It's not going to be like it is on earth. So, if you can imagine... We probably all see heaven in a little bit of a different way. I might see it one way. Let's go to the first slide. <laughs> that might be how heaven looks to me. <laughs> like a big old happy candy store. You know, with jelly beans that taste like Dr. Pepper. And chocolate from all over the world. You know, maybe in my mind, that where I want to go and spend a long time, maybe it's a candy store like that. Or you may have a different one. Let's go to the next slide. Maybe in your mind, it's a big golden city with bright gems that lies up in the heavens and comes down and we all get to go stay there. Maybe this is how you envision and there would be angels all around. But you can't imagine it. Because the Bible tells us, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Can you... It's so outstanding. 
it's so beyond the best day of your life that your brain will not even allow you to imagine it. Maybe the night you went on a cruise and you got invited to the captain's table and you told everybody you were invited to the captain's table. Maybe that was the best day. Or maybe the night you had a five-star hotel overlooking the mountains or the ocean and you got married. Maybe that was the best day. But it won't compare to your first day in heaven. The transition is usually what we worry about. Oh, I don't want to die. That's going to be painful, right? (laughs) In a blink of an eye. You know, imagine if the first day of the year you got in a car accident and, and you injured your arm and then six weeks later after it healed, you won the lottery, you married the girl of your dreams, you started a family and at the end of the year you looked back and you say, well, how's your life been? You say, oh man, I broke my arm. I think it's going to be that way when we get to heaven. What was your life like? The things that were important, you know, I had a beautiful family, I got married, you know, the things, you're going to remember those things. You're not going to remember that just that one day in the year. We're going to be able to have this peace that defies understanding 100%. We're struggling sometimes to get it now by engaging with God, but when we get to heaven, we're going to have that peace 100%. So, Jesus did describe heaven. Let's go to the next slide. Jesus is trying to tell us what heaven was like. And again, it's difficult to describe. But during his time on earth, he said in Matthew 13, heaven would be like a beautiful pearl of great price or a treasure which a man would joyfully sell everything he owns to have it. Have you ever joyfully sold everything you own? Sometimes you might. Entrepreneurs sometimes risk everything they have to start their business because the passion is so high in their heart. So maybe you wanted an old car and so you you started working in high school and you saved and you got rid of things and you postponed things that you wanted so you could have that car. Jesus tells us that a man will willfully and joyfully, happily give away everything he has to have this. In Luke 24, in 23, he also said to the criminal on the cross, a criminal who's only moments away from dying, who's never attended one of Jesus' seminars, he's probably not gone to church in his life, he's probably not living a righteous life if he's done so many bad things that he's going to be put up on a cross as a robber. And Jesus is being humiliated by all sorts of people who are calling in names. And finally, this one criminal says, this man's done nothing wrong. And Jesus looks over at him and says, today you will be with me in paradise. That's all he needed to acknowledge Jesus and ask to be part of his kingdom. No baptism was necessary. He went right to paradise with the Lord. So that's our hope is when we die, that we will immediately be in paradise with the Lord. So where is heaven? Next slide. We know right now that our role is to pray God's will to earth as it is in heaven. So heaven is not just a destination when we die. It's actually part of our destiny and our commission right now. So it can be confusing as to, is there a physical location? Is it, you know, where is it at? Uh... Our role right now as Christians, as Pastor John was talking about, walking in the acts of the Spirit is to make our place here look a little more like his place there. And when it does look like his place, then he's going to come down here and change our place again. 
You'll know the significance of that when we get done. But that's our role. Let, while we're on the earth, we do works because we love God to make this place look a little more like heaven and then heaven will come. So where is it? You know, it says in the Bible in Genesis that in the beginning God created the heavens, it was plural, and the earth, which was singular. So currently heaven is above us. And how do we know that? Because there are many references in the Bible about how Jesus ascended to the Father. He rose up to the the clouds. And as we'll see, when the new Jerusalem comes in Revelation uh, 21, it descends. That's the English word for down. So it descends from heaven and lies above the earth. So we see that there is an actual realm. It's a heavenly realm that we don't see, but it is a real realm where things happen, and the Bible talks about it. You know how sometimes, you know, we know that our dogs can see and smell things that are there, but we don't see and smell them. And it's similar to that way, where you have a spiritual realm and an earthly realm. Our senses are tied to things that go on the earthly realm. God made both. So we could see that angels can come into our realm and go back to the heavenly realm, as Jesus also did. Someday, I think, we'll be able to do that as well. The Bible talks about the first heaven being the heaven that's immediately above the earth, and that's our sky and our clouds. And then they talk about a second heaven, which goes into space and goes higher than we can see. The Apostle Paul talked about a time when a man, and we believe he's describing himself, went into the third heaven and was sitting there in the presence of God. So it can be a little confusing when somebody starts talking about it in terms of, is that the second heaven? Is that the third heaven? Uh, we know that the devil is not uh, in the presence of God anymore. He's been kicked out. And we know that there are spiritual battles in the second heaven uh, where Daniel was praying and an angel came to respond, but he was fought uh, by the angel that was over Persia and over Greece in the second heaven. So rather than try to talk about first heaven and second heaven today, I'm going to use the term intermediate heaven. Intermediate heaven is kind of where I go when I die. Because for those of us that are living right now, it's a different place than where we're going to be in, in the end when there's the rapture, the judgment, and the new Jerusalem descends. So it's kind of an intermediate heaven, and then the new Jerusalem is going to be the eternal heaven where God and Jesus will actually be with us. And we will have our resurrected bodies, and we will live eternally with them. So... I just wanted to put up some of those things to let you know that there can be confusion and we'll use intermediate and eternal heaven to kind of help you know uh, those two stages. So this final stop, this eternal heaven, uh, is actually close by. It's uh, through the Apostle John that we hear about the eternal heaven uh, in Revelation 21. John got to see a vision of it. He was taken to see it. And this is how he describes it. I, John, saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Then I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. So there's this idea that as we go through the period of Revelation, We see that there have been souls talking to Jesus. Remember the souls under the altar. They're asking him, you know, how much longer, Lord, are we going to be here? But then there comes this point where there's a rapture. 
And there's a judgment. And the new Jerusalem descends. And God and Jesus live uh, with those who believe in Jesus as the Savior. So those of you who thought that maybe heaven didn't look like a candy store are probably more right than I am. (laughs) It's going to look more in the clouds. And it's going to come down so that God can extend heaven to earth and that we can live with him. And notice that he uses the term like a bride adorned for her husband. We talked about that. Trying to explain heaven is very difficult. But how much more than a wedding day? So many women look forward to all their life, to have those beautiful dresses and all the people they love and, and to start a new life together. We can't miss that. He could have just said it's a jeweled city coming out of the sky. But no, he wanted us to know that it is like a bride and all the excitement and all the glory of a Jewish wedding which would last for over a week back in those times. But it's, it's better than that. It's bigger than that. So now that we understand where we're ultimately going to end up in the, in the eternal heaven, let's look at what happens to our spirit right after we die and we graduate into heaven. No, slide seven. How will we get to heaven? So following death in this age, since Jesus opened paradise, there's a, kind of an intermediate heavenly state between our death and the final judgment. So what are we doing between the time we die and our bodies are raised and, and we are judged and, and we have... Uh, the New Jerusalem. Does it talk about it much in the Bible? Well, the Bible does talk about, uh, through the Old Testament, the term was Sheol. Sheol was the place that the spirits or souls of people would go when they die. There was a good part of Sheol. It was called Abraham's bosom for those that believed in Abraham and loved God and were living a godly life. And then there was Hades. Hades was the word for the place where the souls and the spirits would wait until the end times. And then they would probably have punishment, uh, kind of a separation of the sheep and the goats uh, in the spiritual realm. So, do we get any idea of what paradise and Hades might look like uh, today? Well, there is a parable, the parable of Lazarus and the rich man in Luke sixteen nineteen, And uh, this is parable, which I'll read very quickly. It says, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and he fared sumptuously every day when he ate. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, a good man but full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring just to be fed with the crumbs which would fall from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs of the rich man would come and lick the sores of Lazarus. So when they died, the beggar died and was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus near his bosom. Then the rich man cried out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in flames. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received all your good things. And likewise, Lazarus received evil things. But now, Lazarus is comforted and you are tormented. And beside that, between us, there is a great gulf fixed so that those cannot be crossed from one side to the other. But then the man in torment said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. 
And Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let, let your brothers hear from them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, if, but if one would go to them from the dead, they will repent. But the father said, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one would rise from the dead. Very interesting, isn't it? Now, some might say, well, this was primarily a parable to say that if people won't listen to the prophets, they're not going to listen to Jesus when he rises from the dead. Despite that's the only last sentence of the entire story. And interestingly enough, this is the only parable in the Bible where someone in the parable has a name. So I feel like Jesus was trying to tell us a little something about Lazarus and about what happens when we die. We're going to remember some of the things, that we, the memories we had on earth. We're going to have senses. He, he, he was experiencing thirst and torment and flames. We're going to understand compassion and we're going to understand who God is. But the people who choose not to follow Jesus, they're going to be separated from God and they're going to know that they're separated. But the people who have accepted him are going to be tended in a place of paradise by angels. That's where I want to be. <laughs> I hope you agree with me. That's where you want to be. So the Bible, unfortunately, doesn't give us a lot of other stories for this time period other than uh, a few that primarily can be capsulized in that one parable. Uh, there is another story uh, where we see the souls who are talking to Jesus in Revelation 4 uh, it's a time of tribulation. The Lord is going to return. There's going to be a resurrection. And these souls of departed saints are talking to him and saying, Lord, how much longer uh, until the tribulation will be over and we'll be able to go back in bodily form for eternity? So they're in paradise with the Lord. They understand what's going on. They're looking forward to being part of his plan. And they're talking to him even though they are in a spirit form. So we still are like ourselves, even though our physical body is in the grave until the resurrection day, we're still like ourselves. In the Old Testament, there was a story of King Saul who had turned away from God and was deep in sin and he wanted to know what his future was. So he went and found a medium, even though they were outlawed and the Bible is clear, do not consult a medium, do not talk to the dead. He did it anyway. And it says that the spirit of Samuel came up in the spirit of Samuel, they recognized him. And Saul recognized him and dropped to his knees and said, Samuel, I can't hear from the Lord. Tell me what's going on. And Samuel told him, well, you have disregarded the Lord. Why did you bring me here? And he said, if you want to know what the Lord says, tomorrow you will be in battle with the Philistines and you and your son will both die and Israel will be lost to the Philistines. Now you know. And he disappeared. And the very next day, that's exactly what happened. Saul and his son were killed in battle. Israel was lost to the Philistines. So we get this impression that even though we've transitioned from our body, we still are a, we have this essence of who we were uh, in our spirit form. So I think that can be comforting to people that they, that they know who they are and then you're going to know who their family is. One, one other source uh, I wanted to talk about uh, which is a non-biblical source but one that you've probably all heard of are near-death experiences. 
This is very common. You'll see lots of TV shows in the Discovery Channel and the History Channel uh, where all history is about coming back from the dead. Uh, but near-death experiences are when people who die are medically treated and they come back to life and they're certified dead, but when they come back, they have a story to tell of what they saw. And there's tens of thousands of these stories. A local pastor here in San Diego has written two books on this topic, and he investigated uh, over a hundred stories, talking to the people, to their friends, to the workers, to their uh, church leaders, to find out if they believed the story, if they saw a change in the way the person uh, was when they came back, you know, to investigate it and make sure it wasn't, wasn't just a, a fictitious story. And so uh, he put a, two books together and he included some of these. It's really inspiring to read some of these stories. But what I wanted to do was... Even though this is not a biblical source, so I just want to say that up front, this is a, a, a kind of a gathering of those testimonies as to what these people saw and felt that you hear from all of them consistently over and over again. It says your physical body is close to death and you suddenly realize you don't feel pain anymore. Like you are outside of your current circumstances and you may even be looking back at your body or the people who are operating on it if you're in the hospital. You may try to communicate with them, uh, but they don't hear you. You can remember later in detail all the things that they were doing, but they have no idea that you were watching. Soon you see an opening like a tunnel nearby, and you can see that it is a light in it, which is very attractive. So you end up walking toward it or floating toward it, or someone waves to you to come toward it. And you begin to move very fast as if you're flying toward the light, which grows brighter and brighter, but it doesn't hurt your eyes in any way. In fact, it makes you excited about where you're going. There's a feeling of peace, joy, love, and contentment as you grow nearer, as if you're going home to a fun-filled reunion. You recognize there are other people around you, and then you see relatives and friends who died before you, even some who you never met may be there, and somehow you know who they are. This is just like when Peter recognized Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. He'd never met them before, but he knew who they were. They bring you great comfort and say they are there to help you in this transition. Sometimes Jesus appears directly to you or stands with your relatives and your friends. And he may ask you a question, such as, how did it go in your life? What did you learn? And did you learn to love? Then your life flashes before you and you can feel how your life impacted others. And you feel a sense of unconditional love even in the embarrassing parts. Because Jesus overlooks those things. You suddenly realize only two things mattered in your life at all. Your relationship with God and how well you demonstrated love. Everything else was really pretty meaningless. You are so overwhelmed with joy and peace that you do not want to leave this new place. But suddenly you become aware that there's a boundary that you're not going to be able to cross right now. And either Jesus or one of them tells you that you're going to be returning to earth. You maybe get a message to report to people or a mission. But you awaken in your body, often frustrated, because the words don't come easy to describe what you've just been through, and you feel like people will make fun of you if you tell them. The major changes in your life include you're no longer afraid of death, like you were before. You know there is a better place to be, and you may even really want to go back, right now. You have a larger perspective on life, so that the petty little arguments and the little dramas don't matter to you anymore. And you place a greater importance on telling others about Jesus and heaven and that there's something more than this life on earth. 
regardless of whether people will make you embarrassed. And you will hunger for the intensity of Jesus Christ again. Next slide. Well, how will we get to heaven? Uh, well, the spirits uh, who, who die and loved Christ will be ushered immediately into paradise by angels or departed loved ones. And upon receiving their new bodies at the resurrection, eventually will be transported to the eternal heaven, the new Jerusalem, which Jesus says he's preparing for his people. But what we've seen where we go, but what about the people that after us who may be alive at the time of the rapture? What is going to happen to the people at the time of the rapture? Well, this verse here, 1 Thessalonians 15, Paul is telling us, you see, Paul had had several discussions with the Corinthians, the Thessalonians, the others, that, you know, I want to stay and help you guys, but I really would like to go see Jesus. He says, I don't really want to be in just spirit form. I want to go, you know, be in my new body, like Jesus' new body. So here he's talking about what that's going to be like when Jesus comes. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are already asleep or dead. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. So if you're alive on that great day, it's like you get transitioned in the air. People who've already died but who believed in Jesus, their resurrected bodies become like his. And their souls meet and they are in the new Jerusalem. How many people did not know that? Okay, a few of you. That's a, it's an interesting timeline when you see what happens after I die. Slide, the next slide, please. We don't have to fear this. We have to go into this with joy in our hearts. Okay? Because going to see Jesus is going to be wonderful. I don't know how you feel when your president of the company or the manager of your company calls you into the office and you don't know why. You probably feel nervous, a little anxious, a little fearful. But the Lord is trying to give us enough here that we know that we aren't going to be fearful. We aren't. If we believe in Jesus Christ, that we need to go into this boldly, just like we would boldly go before the throne. We are co-heirs with Christ. We get what he earned. Isn't that fabulous? We get what he earned. We are allowed to call him Abba Father, personally, intimately. We don't have a strange meeting with the CEO. We have a reuniting with our greatest brother and our father. And we're going to share stuff together because of what Jesus has done. Now this transition, Jesus said in, in, up here in bullet three, he says, for those who accept him, Jesus said, look, I'm coming soon. My rewards are with me and I will give to each person according to their works. My rewards are with me. He didn't say he's going to meet the Christians to tell them how bad they were and give them punishments. When he sees his people, he wants to reward them for their life. So this transition is nothing that we should fear. It's going to be wonderful. But what about these rewards? Next slide. Your salvation is decided on earth when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But that's a done deal. You're going to go see him. But 
the Lord says there are rewards that we can take advantage of. He talks about if we love him, we want to do works for him. We want to spread the gospel. We want to pray for healing. We want to tell people how wonderful he is. These are the works that, that they're talking about. The fruits of the spirit that we see in Galatians 5. And when we do this, Jesus is saying you're laying up yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust can destroy it. And thieves can't break in and steal it. Don't make your life about doing works for yourself. Money, fame, your name, bigger house, bigger car. Always have your eye on this eternal kingdom and doing God's will. And he will reward you for that in heaven. We have a couple examples in the Bible where a master gave his servants money that they could use to advance his agenda, his kingdom, while he was away. And when he returned, he asked each one, well, how well did you do with what I gave you? And we learn in Matthew 25, in the parable of the talents, that those who multiplied their talents on behalf of the master when he returned uh, were given great responsibility. He was very ha- the master was very happy. In Luke 19, it's a similar parable, the parable of the minas. Again, giving minas out, asking each one, how did you do while I was gone? And if you did something that multiplied for his kingdom, he said, well done, good and faithful servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. So those who work with what the Lord gives them, whether it's a lot or a little, can receive great rewards in heaven if they've spent their time bringing glory to his name. The next slide also shows what Jesus was instructing some Pharisees at dinner about how not to be so prideful and focused on themselves. But he said, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. There are also five crowns that the Bible talks about. And I don't have time to go into each one. But the, the idea was those who sacrificed for the, to advance the kingdom would receive crowns for righteousness, perseverance, for, for evangelism. And, and what do we do with crowns? I mean, I suppose, you know, we, we could wear them around. You know, I have five crowns, but that might be prideful. But we see an example of the elders, the 24 elders in the book of Revelation who come to the throne of God and they sing how holy he is and they're so happy to be with him and they bow down in Revelation 4, 8 and they say, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created and they give their crowns to the feet of God. Wouldn't that be awesome? You get to be at the feet of the God of the universe who rewarded you and say, I did this for you. That would be awesome. So we talk about the judgment and the beam of seat of Christ and then there's a, a white throne judgment where the Father is the judge. Let's look at the beam of seat. Uh, you're already a sheep if you love Jesus. He's bringing rewards. So we would expect that we're going to get re- rewards at the Bema Seat. And so let's take a look at how Paul explains it in 1 Corinthians 3.12. He says, 
uh, if anyone builds on the foundation of Jesus with gold or silver or precious stones, which is good, those are expensive and big works, or with wood and hay and straw, which is not much, which is lesser works, or maybe no works, he says, each one's work will become clear on the judgment day. We'll declare it, it will be revealed by fire, which means judgment, and the fire will test each one's works on the earth and what sort it was. And if anyone's work, which he has built on it, endures, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned because it's straw or it's non-existent, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. So we're not looking at the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Jesus, if we love him, we're not going to Hades. <laughs> There's not a chance that he says, well, you know, you repented, but it was in a foxhole and you never did anything for me. Go to Hades. That's not going to happen. The Bema seat is the love of Jesus bringing rewards to his people, evaluating your works on earth for the kingdom and apportioning rewards to you upon the merit of what you've done now. So it should incentivize us to stand with the Holy Spirit, lay up those treasures in heaven, and be confident that that's where we're going to end up. There should be no doubt if you love Jesus that you're going to end up in the New Jerusalem. So the next slide, let's talk quickly just about a few things that we see in heaven, this New Jerusalem. And hopefully you'll get excited about this. As John said, he saw a new heaven and a new earth, a bride beautifully dressed for her husband, God dwelling now with his people. No more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. How many people here have pain? How many people get up in the morning with turmoil in their mind? Wouldn't it be great to wake up tomorrow with none of that? It's gone. And the Lord said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And those who are victorious will inherit all of this. And I will be their God and they will be my children. And he went to a great mountain, John did. And the angel carried him there so he could see how shiny New Jerusalem was. Covered with jewels, streets of gold. And there was no temple which for those people back then, that was the place that you go to see God. So John says, I did not see a temple because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple now and they are dwelling with their people. There's no more need for light from the sun or the moon and the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into the new Jerusalem. Nothing impure will ever enter it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will live there. That's us. That person that you don't get along with, that irritates you every day, they could be there, who knows, but the likelihood is it won't bother you anymore. (laughs) The Lord will have given them their reward and their heart will be changed. There will be crops of fruit from the tree of life, bearing every month. There's food and drink. The river of life flows down the center of Jerusalem from the throne of God. The tree of life stands on both sides of that great river. We get this new resurrection body. Remember how Jesus could walk through walls and then he could disappear suddenly? That's going to be so cool. (laughs) We're all going to be able to, to have a resurrection body. 
People will know who we are and we'll know who they are. Even though our body might be different, it says that when we see him face to face, we will know all and be known. The new Jerusalem is going to be like, it's measured in Revelation 21. 12,000 stadia, which is 1,400 miles in length and width and height. It could be a pyramid, it could be a square, but hundreds of billions of people could live in a shape that size. Next slide, please. Jesus said that there would be a house or a mansion prepared for us. That he was going there first to prepare it for us. So we'll have a place to stay in our new resurrected body. There's going to be food and drink. Does anyone remember at the Last Supper, Jesus said, I'm not going to be partaking of the fruit of the vine again until you all are in heaven with me. So there's going to be wine there. How cool is that? I mean, I know people whose superpower on earth is making wine disappear. I don't know what their superpower is going to be in heaven, but I'm looking forward to what heavenly wine tastes like. It says for animal lovers, the, the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, and the calf and the lion and the yearling will all be together. They're not eating each other. In fact, it says the lion will eat straw like a cow, and an infant, baby, human, will play near the cobra's den and will be able to put its hand into the viper's nest. Now, I don't want to put my hand in the viper's nest, but I guess I'm glad to know I could if I wanted to. And from the people who have had near-death experiences, one of the things that many of them say is when they got to heaven, they also saw their old pets. And they were younger and more active, and they came when they called them, and they greeted them there. Now, again, that's not biblical, but I want you to know thousands of people have had that experience. There's going to be angels and heavenly creatures around the throne. Those with eyes all over their body and six wings and different faces. It's going to be amazing. And you won't have to worry about marriage or divorces that you had on earth because there's no marriage in heaven. Jesus told when he was asked a trick question, there's no marriage in heaven. You're all going to be married. You're the bride of Christ. You're all going to be married to God. Your foremost thought of who you need to please and who you need to love is going to be God. And the streets of gold, so pure that it's like glass, the whole place. I remember a story of a man who uh, Jesus just loved so much because he was such a saint. And he said, Lord, I know my time is near. Would you allow me to bring something from the earth into heaven? He says, well, I really can't do that. You're not supposed to be able to take it with you. And he said, but Lord, I've just, I've just sacrificed, I've saved. He said, please, one suitcase. So the Lord allowed him to take one suitcase. And when he got to the pearly gates, St. Peter said, welcome. He said, you're the only one in 100,000 years that the Lord has allowed to bring it with him. What do you have? And he opens up a suitcase and there's gold bullion and gold bars. And Peter looks at him and he says, why did you bring pavement? So God has already made you a part of his family if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He's planning for riches and kindness forever. You have to accept it. And then when you do, you should have this eternal hope of such greatness and happiness that it helps you overcome the daily struggles that we encounter on the earth. We lock our thoughts and our heart into what we're going to have. And that should inspire us to take advantage of it now and lay up some rewards. Maybe you'll have a trophy case in your house in heaven. 
from people who came back from their near-death experiences, the houses are, contain things that really mattered to us a lot. I think God wants us to have joy, so let's lay up some earthly treasures and prepare for that day. We're all dying. We're just doing it at a different rate, right? Let's all look forward to that graduation day when we transition into the greatest experience we're ever going to have. Last slide. Death is overcome. I like this quote from Helen Keller. Death is no more than passing from one room into another. But there's a difference for me, you know, because in that other room, I shall be able to see. You'll be healed. There'll be no pain, no, no aggravation. It's going to be glorious. So if you're here today and you're not sure if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you want to reserve your home in heaven, please come down front and talk to Pastor John, and he'll talk to you about being certain that when you leave here today, you have that eternal enjoyment with God in heaven, that you will be in paradise should something you're not planning for happen. You'll have that confidence, and so will your family. They'll know that if they want to see you again, they need to accept Jesus too. And we'll all be together. If you have any other prayer needs, please come forward. Our prayer teams, please come down now. The prayer teams are always expecting to see God do a miracle, a healing, to help bring peace into people's life who faithfully sing Him. So come down and uh, declare your faith for something awesome in your life. Thank you. Amen. Can we thank Les?